Welcome to Forever Seeking, the Notre Dame Prep Alumni Speaker Series presented by the Forever Saints Alumni Association. I'm Jenny Douglas, NDP's Annual Campaigns and Alumni Engagement Coordinator. Notre Dame Preparatory is a diocesan Catholic high school located in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are committed to strengthening the minds, bodies, and souls of our students by integrating faith into a challenging college preparatory curriculum. NDP promotes academic excellence, instills moral values, and encourages lifelong service to others. Our community was founded on our three pillars of reverence, respect, and responsibility. As saints, we are forever seeking. This series will feature NDP community members who will share how their involvement with NDP has impacted their lives in their ongoing search for wisdom, truth, knowledge, justice, and understanding. To kick off our first Forever Seeking speaker series, we will be joined by Erica Franzve from NDP's class of 2007, who will be hosting our first speaker, David Lamb, longtime faculty member in our social studies department chair. Erica is a multidimensional entrepreneur with a bold and steadfast faith that has sustained her borderless heart. She has lived all over the world, from Los Angeles to China, working in the entertainment industry as an agency represented model, actress, and casting director. Erica is most passionate about her global ministry work and sustainable clothing line, Proclaim Streetwear. She is known throughout her community and deep network base as an influential and positive voice as she is the host of Midweek Rise Up podcast and a fellow for the Falkirk Center. Erica is also the founder and CEO of Everyday Heroes Like You, a 501c3 charitable organization established in 2006 that assists other nonprofits globally and works in partnership with the United States Marine Corps to help sustain an orphanage in Romania. Erica's perseverant spirit has been the driving force behind her eclectic background from being a former NCAA women's basketball athlete to Miss Arizona USA 2012. She knows what it takes to set a goal and fearlessly pursue it. Erica graduated magna cum laude with a double major in political science and international relations from Arizona State University. In May 2019, she graduated from Liberty University with a Juris Master Degree in American Legal Studies. Erica is currently pursuing a doctorate of education in Christian leadership from Liberty University. I cannot think of a more remarkable alumna to launch our speaker series. Thank you, Erica, for joining us today. Hello, NDP alumni. I am excited to be back on the campus and part of the inaugural episode for Forever Seeking. Today, I am joined by one of my favorite teachers, David Lamb, fondly known to most of us as Mr. Lamb, our beloved high school social studies teacher. David was born in Ontario, Canada, and studied at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and a Bachelor of Education. In 1987, he began his teaching career at an American school in Kuwait. As a result of the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, he moved to Turkey and where he taught at the Tarsus American College in Turkey. After a year, he returned to Kuwait, where he continued to work until 1997. It was during that time that he met and married his wife, Tessa. In 1997, they moved to Venezuela, and he taught at... Colegio Internacional de Caracas. Until 2000. While in Venezuela, their oldest son was born, and David completed a Master of Education from ASU. In 2000, David and Tessa moved to Chandler, and he began working at Tempe Accelerated School. 
His twin sons were born in 2002, and in 2004, he came to NDP. While at NDP, David completed a Master of Arts in History specializing in Middle Eastern Studies from CSU Dominguez Hills. He now serves as our Social Studies Department Chair and is a revered faculty member who has impacted many of our student lives, especially myself. Hello, David. Hello, Erica. So, sounds so weird to call you David. That's all right. I'm just going to call you Mr. Lamb. No, you're not. No, you are grown up now. It's okay. <laughs> oh, it is so great to see you. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a while. It has been. It's still very good to see you. <laughs> Likewise. So I would love to know, I know we ran through your history and your background on things, but why was it so important for you to begin a teaching career and what brought you to NDP and what keeps you here? A uh, teaching career um, goes all the way back to an event that happened in high school. Uh, believe it or not, I did not intend to be a teacher at all. Hmm. I wanted to pursue computer science. I'm a lousy math student. Um, in my senior year, I was taking an advanced math class, and I was also taking two history classes. And I had just bombed yet another math test. <laughs> I got a perfect score in one of my history tests went to the second history class later and I was still bummed out about the math test. Right. And the teacher looked at me and said, you don't look like a happy person considering you got the only perfect score on the last test. So it was that sort of aha moment that if I'm bombing math and getting perfect <laughs> scores on a history test, maybe that is a small indication that I needed to change. <laughs> I went to guidance and kind of altered what I was going to do and got a little bit of direction about what university to go to. and. That was it. Um, as it said, as you said, I actually have a degree in English literature mm. because the Canadian province of Ontario requires two teachable subjects. So mine are both uh, English and social studies. Oh. So that was what got me into teaching. Um, how did I get here? Um, that's a funny story in and of itself as well. <laughs> and it will uh, bring back uh, a memory for you, I'm sure. My wife was working as a part-time receptionist in a hair salon. Hmm. And one of the other women that worked there began to describe a school where her mother worked, that they were looking for teachers. And my wife came home and said, you need to contact Barb Stanley Barb. and see about getting a, an interview. So it was through Mrs. Stanley that I actually found out about this job. How cool. That's amazing. So yes, um, that she, goes back into what 2006, 2000, 2005, 2004 is when 2004. I came here. Gosh, time flies. So That's yes. amazing. And as you've been teaching throughout the years, what has been a challenge for you as a teacher that you faced, and and how did you overcome that? Well, I haven't overcome it. Um, <laughs> we'll just start with whatever the challenge is. It yeah. hasn't been overcome. Um, students and kids are the same regardless of where you are. Uh, as you now know, I started my career 30-some years ago teaching primarily Middle Eastern students in Kuwait. Hmm. And these were students who did crazy things like hang out with their friends, listen to music, and play sports. So very different from children in the other parts of the world. Uh, no, that was sarcasm. I know. <laughs> uh, the, what motivates kids has always motivated kids. Hmm. What is different now, and one of the things that teachers battle both with and I guess for and against perhaps, is technology. 100%. And the fact that when I started teaching, um, the idea of a, a personal computer was still relatively unknown. Uh, the internet did not exist. We had uh, a room in our school that was filled with, with books. 
and we called it a library. What are bugs? Right. I'm just kidding. And, I love um, bugs. <laughs> we, we would take students to libraries and have them research, whereas today the entire information of global history is on your phone. Right. And people use that phone and that internet to send stupid squirrel videos to one another <laughs> rather than looking up anything of substance. Right. So the challenge is that now the information is such, uh, so much more available. Mm -hmm. It's trying to get people to actually use it. Right. Um, the other drawback that I face the most, uh, I, I call it the Google effect, uh, that I don't need to listen to a teacher because I've got the PowerPoint to look at and then I'll just Google anything that I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have seen the results of that where people have written down wildly wrong answers mm. because they put the wrong thing into Google mm -hmm. and that's what they wrote and that's what they turned in. So basically it, it's now the technology has taken over to such a degree that we need to almost pull people away from it mm -hmm. and actually get one-on-one -on -one conversations. And do you notice that affects the, the mental capacity of being able to focus for longer than a certain <laughs> amount of time in the classroom because they're right. so used to the 15-second videos and, right. and the way that, so how have you been able to incorporate that to get the student's attention and then keep it and hold it's, it? It is really, really difficult. And as you said, everything is immediate. Right. And the idea that what you're doing today will actually carry into tomorrow is really an unusual concept. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the TikTok video or, or you know, the Vine or whatever it was. And again, uh, the technology that existed when you were here as right. a school, uh, at this school, is now ancient For sure. to the kids that are here now um, without making you too feel No, too we didn't like, even have Instagram back then. Right. Thank goodness. You, started, <laughs> you graduated in 2007, Seven, yeah. so you started here in 2004. Four. Yeah. Which is about the year that our freshmen were born. Yep. Oh, I was, was I the, I was the first full four years. You were the second. Second? Okay. To the class of 2006. 2006. Okay. So you were born about, or pardon me, you graduated about the same time that our current freshmen yeah. were born. So to them, this will freak you out even more, you were just as old as I am in their minds. Uh, you're just old. Right. No, no, no. And, for sure. Um, Trying to, to work with that and try to break through that lack of attention span right. is really a challenge. Uh, I literally will tell students that, okay, you will be looking something up in a few minutes. Now put your phone down. You'll get a fix in another couple of minutes and literally call it a fix. Right. And you can see kids, as their, their hands are trembling as they, they get closer Shaking. to the phone. So it is really quite the challenge to try to maintain any sort of attention span. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that has happened that was certainly not part of your class, I remember a handful of people in your class, that asking them to speak was never a problem. Right. Engaging in conversation. We now have people that are so used to contacting other people through some sort of virtual means, mm. digital means, that actually speaking to a person Gives them anxiety. It does. It seems to really freak them out as to be able huh. to, to actually sit down and look at someone and converse. Right. So that is one of the things that we are, are kind of battling as well. And uh, again, I have no answer to that because the technology changes so fast. Right. Um, I mean, it, I don't know when you got your first smartphone. College? Okay, I was 35. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Whereas today, there are second graders that my wife teaches who have one of those devices. But it's so unhealthy. You can, I love the flip phones with Snake. That was like the only right. thing that was on it. They don't, to people who are watching this, they don't even know what Snake is. It was a great game. But like, you only need one, a phone that dials two numbers, emergency and your parents. Right. And then when you get to college, maybe a smartphone. But that whole, that social, was it Social Dilemma that came out? Did you watch that documentary? I did not. You should watch it. It's really Did it have big words? No. Okay, but then I can it watch it. it talks about okay. how, how dangerous the phones are for us and social and, media. Um, as a parent, I have to accept responsibility mm -hmm. because as the technology was there, uh, my kids are, are a little bit younger than you. Mm -hmm. But at no time did my wife and I go to a restaurant and take a history textbook for the kids to read. Mm. They started with their leapsters and then, then they worked their way up. Mm -hmm. And again, if you go to any restaurant tonight, go find any child reading a book or coloring. It will be very unusual. Yeah. So we are sort of, we are literally reaping what we sowed. So oh, that is the challenge. Do you guys not make the kids put their phones in their backpacks like you did for us? We try. Okay. That but doesn't... again, <laughs> when you're dealing with someone who is mildly addicted to something, That's the, true. it goes into the pocket or the, they'll, they'll find ways. You know that. That's mortifying to think yes. about. <laughs> you know that. Kids will always find ways. They will always find a way. Yes. Uh, but in regards to pop culture, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in our country right now that's mildly insane. Let's just put it, that's right. to put it lightly. Uh, and I feel as if you were to look back 30 years from now, how would you reflect on these times? I mean, we are, so we have the whole COVID-19 situation. Right. Then we have everything that we're dealing with um, as an election year. So there's a lot of fun stuff to unpack in that question. <laughs> there is indeed. Um, and I'm going to take it a little wider to being social studies, yes. not just pop culture. Good. Um, every era has had wild and crazy times. Mm -hmm. And the further away from it that you are in time, the less space it gets in the textbook. Hmm. It might simply be one sentence. Believe it or not, 30 years from now, there might be a textbook out there that just says that 2020 was one of the most unusual years in American history. Hmm. And students will write that down. Um, again, you think of events that were 30 years ago. Kuwait was invaded 30 years ago. That's an event that was critical to me but a textbook today will say that Kuwait was invaded, it was occupied by Iraq for seven months, and then it was liberated. Wow. And that entire event gets condensed into one sentence. Um, for us living through it, this is going to be very, very different. Mm -hmm. Anything that you live through becomes immediately personal, immediately right. something that forms the way that you think and behave for the rest of your life. Right. So... For you, for me, for the students at our school, they will remember this. But if you think of a second grader, what will they think? Imagine 9-11. The students in this school were not born when 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. So to them, it's an event of the past, the relative near past, and, and they are aware of it secondhand because they've heard about it. Right. But um, I can tell you that this year on 9-11, I showed a video about that event, and one of the students said this video was boring. So to them, 9-11 had already become something out of the past that, well, again, it was before they were born. It was 19 years ago. I know, but still. But for us, that's shocking to think. But again, we live in our own moment. We live in our own bubble, and, and 
that's a bad pun for 2020, isn't it? <gasps> to live in a bubble. But um, what we feel and see and experience, um, you know, for me, growing up, it was stories of the Great Depression. If I right. heard one more story about the Great Depression, I was going to lose my mind. Right. I don't care that there was a Great Depression. Well, now I understand what my parents were telling me and why. But we live in an immediate moment. Mm. And I think what is more frightening is that with technology, it's almost even more immediate and more temporary. Right. And it's striking that 30 years from now, um, I'm going to have bored teenagers that say, yeah, my parents told me about that. Mm. So it's really frightening to think that what we're going through and is so meaningful and so impactful for us, 30 years from now is, is going to be a sentence or two in a textbook. That blows my mind. That's a really interesting way to put it. Oh. I'm going to carry that with me. Well, you, you have to remember that when I started teaching, I taught the Cold War as current events. Wow. The Cold War ended long before you were born. Right. It is a distant memory that you've heard about right. and that Russians used to be bad people. Um, you know, I lived through that and wow. you know, discussing in high school the likelihood of a nuclear war and just coming to the conclusion that, yeah, there likely will be. Right. And for you, that would never have been a thought. And for right. students now, they don't even know what we're talking about. But how do you explain to them the weight and importance of history? Because even though it might not always repeat itself, it sometimes does rhyme. Right. So how do you explain to them, like, okay, this is something to actually pay attention to. If you think it's boring, wait until it applies to your life. And then it, how, how do you just explain to them the weight of even what we're going through right now? There's one word. That word is empathy. Hmm. If anything, uh, as a department, we try to teach empathy. Can you put yourself in that position? Oh. I'm not asking you to believe what that person believed or agree with what that person agree, uh, said, but can you at least understand their perspective? And that might circle all the way back around to what we're talking about with 2020. Mm -hmm. We are days away from an election with people that are in fistfights and you know the potential for armed people taking the streets on election Oh, I feel like we're on the brink of a civil war. Right, because we do not have the ability to empathize. Right. Um, if you disagree with me, that simply makes you wrong. Uh, I can't possibly take the time to listen to what it is that you believe and why you believe it. I have to instead shout louder right. about my beliefs, and mm. then if that doesn't work, I will just have to punch you. Right. Um, so Common ground does not exist. No. no. And that, again, to kind of circle all of this back together, if we're trying to have kids understand, they have to have empathy. Right. And the more disconnected we are as a society because of technology, the more difficult it is for something like empathy to become part of who we are. Right. So that's sort of a double challenge to, to make people understand. Can you at least understand where this person is coming from? Right. Why does this person think that way? I'm not telling you you have to agree with it. I'm not saying that I want you to become a communist or a fascist overnight. Right. I want you to tell me why would that person feel that? What would make them do that? Because it will come um. up again. Yeah. So that's your idea of history rhyming, mm -hmm. and that's the best way of saying it, that this exact circumstance will not happen again, mm -hmm. but circumstances similar to it and our responses to it. Mm -hmm. um, you have people fighting over which way to go in a grocery store and right. whether to wear the mask or not to wear the mask, and now the science is wrong, the science is right, and no one is stopping to listen mm -mm. to one another. Mm -mm. So that, again, becomes part of of the challenge. Right. And and during with the election season coming up too, how 
I'm sure you have students coming to you with news sources or various sources that you're like, I don't know if that's scholarly, but they're still incorporating it in their papers or they're coming to you and being like, is this true? Is this not true? How are you siphoning through all the political discord to help guide the students in a way that's spiritually proper and then also like this is the truth within the data and this is what the facts show? That is the the, the million-dollar question. Uh, And again, because everyone has access to information, uh, so we have tried to identify with students information, disinformation, misinformation. Mm. And because I am a teacher and I'm pedagogical, I'm going to explain what I mean by those terms. Please, here for it. information is something that is factually correct. You come to my room and say, I need to see Mr. Gwynn. I tell you Mr. Gwynn is in room 505. That is true. Misinformation is you come to my room, you say, I need to see Mr. Gwynn. I say, yeah, he's in room 506. I made a mistake. I got the wrong number. Mm. Disinformation, you say that you need to see Mr. Gwynn. And I say, yeah, he's down in the locker room. So why don't you walk on down there to find (laughs) Mr. Gwynn so that I've deliberately given you false information. Mm -hmm. So um, the challenge is not so much the misinformation. People make mistakes. People say the wrong things. The challenge is the disinformation that anybody can put online Mm -hmm. and hide behind just about anything that looks real. And, you know, there are Russian bots that are putting out information, quote unquote information, Mm -hmm. that is designed to get us to hate one another, to argue with one another. So it is really, really challenging and to, to listen to politicians repeat some of this material, Mm -hmm. to listen to people engage in what should be a dialogue, repeating falsehoods that have been disproven, it really is like pushing water uphill. Right. And again, as as we pointed out with the telephones and the computers, laptop, whatever device, your Apple phone, or pardon me, your your watch Watch. now, um, all of this is circulating so quickly Mm -hmm. um, that you just have to hope that people have common sense to pull back. And I, and I would think it's one of the reasons that we struggle with empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw something on Facebook, it must be true, or it was on Instagram, and therefore I believe it uh, thoroughly. Um, one of my favorites, uh, Venezuela is in a mess right now. Right. Lots of people love to put stuff on to Facebook or Instagram or any sort of social media about, well, this is what socialism will get you or this is what that will get you. And I've written back to a couple of them saying, well, as someone who lives there when Mm. this was actually going on and someone who's traveled and and seen and spoken with these people, I can tell you that what you're saying is not accurate. Mm. So what we've got is a generation, a society that is very willing to simply forward, to retweet anything without any thought. So uh, again, it is pushing water uphill to Mm -hmm. try to get people to just step back and even ask, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Does this sound like it would make sense? Mm-hmm. Is Queen Elizabeth really a lizard person? Do you really think that? And the answer, sadly, is that there are people out there that will answer yes. Um, if you want to look it up, his name is David Ick, I-C-K-E, <laughs> and he will explain to you that Queen Elizabeth is a lizard person. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with this world? <laughs> oh, that's wild. It is. It really is. We, just li- we live in a headline culture. And uh, an attention span that goes with it, that goes back to that, that we want the quick attention span, we want to read something very briefly, 
um, no level of depth, mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't help that entire news networks, or what once passed as a news network, is very happy to do nothing but offer commentary. Right. Long gone are the days of Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite. Everything is opinion. Right. Yeah. And it's disappointing that one really struggles to actually find any sort of news that will just tell you some information to work from. Right. Instead, you are getting commentary. And I'm going to prove that our network is open-minded by bringing someone from the other side here mm -hmm. so that five of us on this side of the table can shout at that one person right. that we put on the other side of the table. Right. So it, it is definitely a challenge. Yeah. And uh, what is one past experience in your life that you find yourself reflecting upon or guides your life? And how would you respond to all that's going on in the world today? I know we kind of touched on it, but what is something mm. that really just keeps you going? Um, I had a principal once who would quote his father-in-law who said that things are never as good nor as bad as they seem. Mm. Um, what you need to do, again, is to find something to ground yourself, a little bit of comparison. Uh, this year has definitely been strange, but uh, when you live in the Middle East, uh, I lost my job once because the country I worked in was invaded by a foreign army. And that's not something that happens to the average citizen. Right. <laughs> and therefore, I tend to measure things along that. Mm -hmm. like, um, people will come to me in sort of a panic that something's wrong. And I will ask, was there property damage? Was there a loss of life? Right. If the answer to those questions are no, then we don't actually have a crisis. A crisis. We need to just step back and say, okay, we have a problem, we have a concern, but it's not a crisis. Now right. with COVID, yes, there's been a loss of life. Right. And it's been a frustrating thing that we can't seem to get everyone on board with helping with that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at a war zone, and I, I went back to Kuwait after the war and literally picked through the rubble of war. Um, the school building where we uh, worked had been used um, as a prison. Wow. Uh, one of the offices had clearly been used as a torture area. Wow. And it's like, okay, we're complaining about not having the right textbooks, but someone was tortured to death on this site. So perspective. really, let, let's just back up here and right. take a, a better look at it. Right. Um, and again, living through Saddam Hussein, um, if you remember your history, Saddam yeah. didn't go away. Right. Um, he was driven out of Kuwait, but he routinely threatened to invade. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember people would come to me because I'd been there before the war and had gone back, asking, you know, what's going to happen? What do you think this will be like? On one occasion, the American military sent uh, battleships off the coast of the city just to reassure us. And uh, on one occasion, uh, there were eight military helicopters that literally overflew the city as nothing more than a statement to say, we're here. Wow. Um, so yeah, you, you do have to maintain that. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't give the silver lining. Um, one of my colleagues phoned home to reassure her parents that everything was fine. And her father said, do you have a contingency plan in case? Mm. So that night she came to me and asked, would I be her contingency plan? Hmm. And we've been married for 24 years. So there's the silver lining. Tessa. So yes, that is Tessa. That, uh, she worked at the same school, but uh, I was her contingency plan. Sweet. So I guess I still am.
Well, good. Yeah. She's very, you guys are very blessed. You guys make so. a good team. With that, I just, because I've lived all over the country, to, or all over the world and country, but when I lived in China, I saw firsthand the freedoms in Technicolor that I take for granted, mm-hmm. that they have no idea what right. it's like to experience. Do you think what we're going through right now, some of the students especially, we're, we've been in a, I guess you could say we've been in a time of peace. I know we've been overseas at war, right. but we haven't really been, the generation that's coming up right now, are they Gen Z? Is that what they are? I call them Gen I, as okay. in iPhone, iPad, <laughs> I want. Great. Right. Gen I, Gen mm-hmm. Z, they both work. Whatever. Um, I, I feel like this is the apathy that comes, that's kind of surrounding us, maybe comes from the fact that we've been in a time of peace for so long with our country that they, they don't know the, some of the struggles that past right. generations went through. Right, or that the minority of the world lives a life that they do. That right. The majority live a far different life. Different life. life. Um, and that is why travel is so important. Right. Um, Jacques Cousteau once said, if every child went to school in a different country for fifth grade, he could bring peace to the world. Mm. Um, you're right that when you live a life of comfort and it goes into a second generation and a third generation, uh, when you have no concept that something could be different, mm-hmm. why would you even think of it? And mm-hmm. again, that goes back to the concept of empathy. Can you look at what others are going through? Um, We have literally on our border an example of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. There are people that are risking their lives to come across the border, to sneak through a desert, to Mm -hmm. be hated by people on arrival. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it because that's a better life. I don't know who wakes up in the morning and thinks, I would love to cross 300 miles of open desert. for a better life, right. and yet that is what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we have some programs here that unfortunately COVID has shut down, mm-hmm. where we have taken kids to some of those places, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, the Habitat for Humanity, um, the Westeros Pequeños Hermanos, um, yeah. Feed My Starving Children, mm-hmm. things like that, where we can at least get them exposed to it. And again, I will harp on my word empathy, mm-hmm. to at least show them that you really do have it well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that poses its own challenges in the era of COVID mm-hmm. when you can't do it. But you're absolutely right that that's what we need to be doing. Right. Um, so we want to end each podcast with a question. And in keeping with the name of this podcast, what is something in your life that you are forever seeking? And who is a saint that possesses the values that you seek to model? Oh, what am I seeking? Uh, I don't want to sound too philosophical and grandiose. No, please, I love that. But truth, I think, would actually be good. Um, The saint that I would choose, I think, would puzzle people at first, and it's Luke. Hmm. Everyone knows of Luke as the physician, but if you were to read the opening of Luke, where he is writing a letter to Theophilus, and he says that I have gathered information that I'm going to put together so that I can tell you the truth Mm -hmm. of these things. Luke is actually a historian, and he is trying to sift through information that has been spread, misinformation, disinformation as well, and he's trying to record what is real. And in the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, that is what is written down. 
So I would say Luke as a historian, not as the physician that everyone claims him to be. I, I am claiming him for the history nerds of the world. I love it. Um, but just that idea that we just have to sift through it. You've got to look at all of it. You've got to look at the whole thing mm -hmm. and try to figure out what was right and what was wrong. And if we could just do that, if we could all live in some degree of truth, mm -hmm. then I think we would be better off. And, and to live in truth, I mean to understand that what I have is uh, maybe a luxury to someone who doesn't have it. What I have is meaningful. What I have is enough mm -hmm. um, that I can share something with other people, whether it is financial, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual or mm -hmm. moral, whatever it is, that should be the purpose. Mm -hmm. No, it's amazing. I'm so grateful for you. Oh, thank you. Seriously, I, I, whenever I look back and think about being a student here at Notre Dame, you and only a few other um, teachers come to mind that I just remember thoroughly enjoying your class because you actually challenged us to think, not just with our brains, but with our hearts. And I never forgot that. And I just want to say thank you for still being here and teaching the generations that are coming, the Gen I's that are coming up. Um, but no, I'm just, I'm in a world that is so crazy right now. And with teachers trying to siphon through what is true, what is not, trying to help guide the students in a way, you guys have such a, a big weight on you. So I just want to say thank you, well, thank you for still being here in the fight in the thick of it all. Well, I will say that you were one of those students that made it all worth it. Thank you. Um, the school that I worked at before this one was not a good one. Mm -hmm. I remember coming here and uh, your class, the, the class of 2007, mm -hmm. was really the group that I encountered first. And the first day I came home, my wife looked at me and said, what happened? <laughs> and uh, because I had not been happy as a teacher for over a year. Wow. And literally the first day I went home from here excited. And that was August of 2004. So 16 years later, I'm still here. Still here. Yep. And I hope that you'll still be here once I have, a, if, if and when I have kids. They c well, you will have, <laughs> I will make sure they have you all four years. Okay. They will be in your class. Well, and you I, can be I very will be hard in a on wheelchair, them. But, <laughs> but okay. Fine, I'll just, you know. I'll make, we'll make it work. Okay, we will. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you very much. Thanks. It was fun to be here. Yes. Thank you, Erica and David, for joining us for our first Forever Seeking episode. I would like to encourage all of our alumni to stay connected with us at www.ndpsaints.org slash alumni slash stay connected. Special thanks to our 2019-20 Forever Saints Alumni Association gold sponsors, the Cuda family, the Lafer Friedman family, the Rehorn family, and Blake Terry 09. I would also like to thank our purple sponsors, the Barclay White family, the Landsborough family, the Chase Tusshouse 06 family, Mike Harvey Peak Image Photo, and Carolyn Rock, Russ Lyon Sotheby's International Realty. We're so grateful for your support. We invite you to subscribe to Notre Dame Prep on YouTube and watch for our next episode with the NDP legend, Sister Yo. Remember, you are loved.